You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In today's lesson, The Practice, Philip Edwards considers how demons enter the body and how to expel them. A very practical teaching to both defend ourselves and advance against the enemy. We hope you enjoy today's teaching and please head on over to ariseministry.org.uk to see all the other ministries we have to offer and the upcoming events. Also, you can follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now, over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Okay, the passage I'm going to turn you to, I said that most of the references to deliverance are found in the book of Mark, and so we're going to have uh, another look at one this evening. It's found in Mark chapter 7, and it's, it's where a Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus seeking the deliverance of her daughter. Now, it's always good practice if something in the scriptures is written in several places, that if you're going to study something, read all the references to that thing. That happens in the Old Testament. Uh, the Psalms, often you can read references in other places of the Bible. The book of Chronicles is nearly a total repeat of David's life that's written somewhere else so it's best if you if you're studying something to read as many references to that one so we know with the um, the teachings of Jesus over the four Gospels sometimes the accounts are written in one two three or even four of the Gospels so when you're studying read as many of the references that you can so the other reference apart from the Mark 7 I'll be looking at uh, Matthew 15 which covers the same thing. So let's uh, read the one in Mark first of all, and I'll go through it as I read it as I did before and try and explain some things as we go along. It says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Mm. Why would he want to go somewhere and want no one to know where he was. People have suggested perhaps with the exhaustion of the ministry that he was involved in, he wanted to take his disciples away so they could literally have a rest. So he's taken them way out of where he's normally ministering to this place called Tyre, Tyre and Sidon, and he's, he's giving them the opportunity of a rest. He entered a house and he did not want anyone to know it yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. So we have a situation now where we're looking at the deliverance of a child. When I looked up little, it means quite diminutive, almost like a baby. So this woman is quite concerned for her little child. Her little child is is demonized, has a problem. As you read through all the accounts of deliverance, we see they happen to children. Little children get demonized. We see the father who brought his son to Jesus. Remember the boy that was throwing himself in the fire and so forth? He was like a teenage boy. We have men who have uh, come for deliverance. We have women who come for deliverance. We have people who've had 
evil spirits for maybe 20 years, older people who have come. So the way that scripture deals with it, it says no one falls outside of the scope of being demonized. Men, women, boys, girls, old, young, everyone falls into the scope of being affected by evil spirits. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit. We dealt with this word possession before. I don't like it. Uh, if we're Christians, we can't be possessed by the enemy because we're already possessed and owned by God. But we can be with or, or have an evil spirit. The woman was Greek. Now this is important that they tell you this because remember Jesus came first to his own people, to the household of Israel. So she wasn't entitled to deliverance. In fact, nobody outside of the household of faith was entitled to the ministry of Jesus at all. He gave strict instructions to his disciples. They were not to go to Samaria. They were only to, to go into the villages and towns where Jewish people were. She begged Jesus to drive the demons out of her daughter. Now, she had no problems in understanding or believing that her daughter was demonized. It wasn't a problem to her. She knew exactly what it is. Now, we're not told what her problem was, whether she was just thwart. She just couldn't rest. She couldn't settle. She was always screaming and she was exhausting her mother. We don't know what it was, but obviously her mother identified what it was. He then speaks to her, verse 27. He says, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. It seems a bit of a harsh way to speak to this woman. Is he calling her a dog? Because he said, listen, I've come to the household of faith. I've come to feed and minister to the Jewish people, those in covenant with God. I haven't come to you. Now, she's a Greek woman. She's outside of the household of faith. And he, he, he says, uh, is it right to, to give it to you, to, to give you deliverance? Then she, her response is, yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So she's pleading on behalf of her child as much as to say, if you just give me a crumb of your ministry, of your power, of your life, just a crumb will do the job. And I've come and I'm pleading on behalf of my child because I have nowhere else to go. There is no answer to her problem. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So what's encouraging here is we see deliverance at a distance. In the case of children, it is parents that can go on behalf of their children because they are spiritually responsible for them and seek deliverance for them. And the child doesn't have to be there. So people don't have to be in the presence of the person doing the deliverance to get the deliverance. It can be done by proxy. This is what is indicated from this scripture. Now, whether that that covers an adult, we don't know, but we know it definitely covers children, and it looks like it covers proxy deliverance. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, which indicates, I think it's a, a small child, and the demon was gone from her. Now, let's go to the account of it in Matthew. It's in Matthew 15, because there's, there's more added to the story, which is, is useful to look at. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew 
to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He calls her this time a Canaanite woman. She was living in Cana, but her, her origin was in, in Greece. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out. Listen what she cries out. She said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. So again, we have this clarity of her understanding that it was a demonic problem. Uh, she was obviously suffering the suffering we aren't told. But the way that she approaches him, she calls him Lord. She calls him Lord, son of David. Now remember blind Bartimaeus that sat by the side of the road when he shouted out to Jesus, he calls him son of David as well. And Jesus immediately calls him and ministers to him. He's a Jew, remember, he's of the household of faith. But he has a reluctance to minister to this woman. It goes on to say in 23, Jesus did not answer a word. Well, I said before, was he rude to the woman in saying she was nothing but a dog? But here, he's not even answering her when she talks to him. It's as though he's ignoring her. I think he's making the point again, I haven't come to you. There will be a day when I will be the king of the whole world and I will gather the whole world in. But at this particular visitation, I have come only to the household of faith, to the Jews. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Um, well, if they had gone away for a little bit of a rest, they weren't getting any. As this woman was making sure they didn't get any rest. She's pestering them all the time. She's not going to take no. And what woman would? What mother would, would take a no? She knows the trouble her daughter's in and she knows that Jesus can do something. So she isn't going anywhere until she gets an answer and she gets what she wants. You see, with deliverance sometimes, people are a bit half-hearted about getting it. Oh, oh, I don't know, oh, I'm not sure. Well, if you're not sure about things with God, often you won't get anything. You have to be determined, you have to press on in. We know that expression, to press on into God. We've got to, to desire what he wants for us. So his disciples came to him and urged him, oh, send this woman away. She's getting on our nerves, putting it in the modern vernacular. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Deliverance is for the children of God. This is a point that he's making. It was only for the Old Testament children of God. It wasn't for anyone else. Deliverance is for Christians. It's not for non-Christians. All those that come to Christ can receive the ministry that Christ died to give us. Healing, deliverance, salvation, to break the power of curses over us, to bless us materially and in every way. It's for those that come to him and join themselves to him and become part of the household of faith through Jesus. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. Now, do you notice already she's called him Lord once. Now she's called him Lord again. She says, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to their dogs. So it's the same response as we see in Mark's Gospel. Yes, Lord, 
Ah, she said it again. She's called him Lord. Do you notice? She, he wasn't her Lord, but she recognises him as her Lord. She's used that expression three times in this passage. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. In the, in the other passage that we read, he said that he uh, appreciated the answer that she gave. He says this, then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demons have left. So what was the reply that was really uh, what pleased Jesus? What, what, what reply was he, he, he referring to? It wasn't the fact that she sort of challenged him cheekily and said, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. That's not the reply. The reply was that she kept calling him Lord, Lord, Lord. And because she called him Lord, then he took her on board, as it were. It was almost like uh, a prophecy of what was going to happen in the future, that all people were going to be drawn to him. It doesn't matter if you were Greek or whatever you were, Russian or anything, you would be drawn to him. He was going to be the Lord of the whole world. So in advance, he does this for her. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith without faith it's impossible to receive anything from god it's by faith as we read the word of god and god speaks to us from his word we put faith in what he has said so this woman is exercising great faith jesus got himself into real hot trouble remember when he kept saying he'd never seen such greater faith Twice he says this. The other times he talks about seeing great faith is when the Italian soldier, the officer came to him and said, would you heal my servant for me? And he said, well, I'm coming to heal your servant. And he said, no, you don't have to come. Just say the word. Just say it. And because you've said it, my servant will be healed. And he says, I've never seen such great faith as your faith. And so he's seeing great faith here. Both of those people weren't entitled. Now, there's a difference between the soldier and this woman. The difference between the soldier and this woman is the soldier's servant was sick. This woman's daughter was demonized. You say, well, is there any difference? Oh, yes, there is. If, if Jesus was to heal the sick, then the sickness would not necessarily come back because it was a physical thing. So he could freely go and pray for anyone who was sick and minister healing to them. When it comes to the case of deliverance, unless Jesus Christ is your Lord, if a spirit is cast out of you and you hadn't made Jesus Christ Lord, that spirit has every right to come back into you again and it'll come back worse when it comes back again. But because she said, Lord, I make you my Lord, she was safe. Her daughter was safe because now she came under the canopy of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Is that clear? I hope I've explained that clearly enough to you. So it's one thing to heal the sick. It's another thing to deliver people. This has come up in our question time. Should we pray for people that aren't Christians? Well, I probably wouldn't. If someone came to me who wasn't a Christian seeking deliverance, 
I would encourage them to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. If they said no, they weren't prepared to do that, well, I'll say there's a greater chance if I pray for you, the Spirit could leave you, but by tomorrow you could be worse than you are today if you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord. So it is the children's bread. Deliverance is for the children. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And a daughter was healed from that very hour. So the minute he said it, the, the evil spirit, the unclean spirit as it's called there, it left the daughter. Okay, that's my biblical passage I wanted to open up for you tonight. So we're going to go now into the, um, the teaching that I have. We're going to ask that big question tonight. How do demons enter? How do, they, how do these personalities, these disembodied spirits, enter into our bodies? Evil spirits, I believe them to be spirits that once had bodies. They lived in bodies, but now they're disembodied and they're seeking a body to re-enter, to manifest themselves. Jesus in his teaching gave us the analogy of our bodies being like a house. It says in Matthew 12, 45, then it says, I will return, this is the spirit talk in evil spirit, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. That means the spirit that was once in the house was driven out of the house. So there was no spiritual content, as you, if we could put it that way, there was no spiritual in the house. Now, instead of filling the house with God and the things of God and the spiritual good things, the person who was delivered did nothing. He was just delivered of that evil spirit, but he never filled it with the good things that he should have. It says the house was swept clean, the things driven out and put in order. That's how he was left. So he goes back the spirit and he finds there's nothing in there to replace the evil spirit that was sent out. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and they live there. So the way that the Jesus speaks about it, he says these are like homes for disembodied spirits to come and live in and to manifest them through it. Now it says that man was made in the image of God and being made in the image of God we are made physically, emotionally and psychologically we are so put together by God that it, the most natural thing is that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. That is the most natural thing for human beings to have the spirit living in them. So we were designed for spiritual inhabitation. In God's plan, it would be that the Holy Spirit would come and inhabit us and live within us and we would function with God living on the inside. It is then naturally the dwelling place for spirits. And the problem is is that something's going to occupy the inside of us. It's either going to be God's Holy Spirit or it's going to be an evil spirit that's going to come in and live and dominate our lives because we're designed and made to be the homes of spirit. There is, of course, the human spirit, but given the opportunity, evil spirits 
will come in and live on the inside of us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? Well, yes, we are created to be temples of which the Spirit of God will come and live. And 2 Corinthians 6.16 says this, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them. The plan of God is that he dwells within us by the person of the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus said, I and the Father, we will come and we will dwell with you. We will dwell in you. There's a lesson for us in the temple at Jerusalem. The temple at Jerusalem was the temple of the Lord. It, it's a physical picture of what happens to our temples. We know that uh, we read about it in Matthew uh, 21, 12 and 13. It says this, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the money tables, uh, sorry, the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. So these bodies that we have, they're designed to be a house of prayer where the Holy Spirit dwells within this natural habitat that God has built for the Spirit to dwell in, or it becomes a den of robbers. So, so the, the temple, it was either a dwelling place for God or it was a den of robbers. People are either filled with the Spirit of God or other spirits find their way to get into us and to operate and, and dwell within us. Demons, they can't simply walk in and out of people. I, I want to say that it's not as like we're going around like blotting paper, sucking them up all the time. Please don't do that because even natural man, he has a resistance to the things that are demonic. Uh, if you said to somebody, just an ordinary you know, person that you know, I'm going to a, a spiritual seance tonight, would you like to come with me? They'd probably say, oh no, I'm not going anywhere near that. Now whether they knew anything about it or not, they would steer away from it. Or if you said, well, um, I'm going to buy a house that's haunted, it's full of evil things, they're going to say, listen, I ain't going to visit you if you buy that house, okay? So people have a natural resistance to things that, that comes from God. So it isn't natural to get involved with these things. We've got to ask the question then, if they just can't enter in and out, what is it that opens the door, if, if we're going to talk about our bodies being like a house, what is it that opens the door that allows them in? Primarily, it's sin. Sin opens the door for evil spirits to come in. In Genesis uh, 4, 6 and 7, we have an illustration there of demons waiting outside the door. And in Revelation 3.20, we have a picture of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, waiting outside the door. Let me read these two to you. First Genesis 4, 6 and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, this is Cain and Abel. Remember, Cain was jealous and uh, angry towards his brother. Uh, and this is what happened after God had accepted Abel's offering but had rejected Cain's offering. He says, why are you angry, Cain? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? 
If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So the picture is, the door is the door of our heart. And if we allow sin, as Cain allowed the sin to fester within him, he said, I'm warning you now, this thing called sin. Now, sin is not what we do. Sin is a person. It is crouching at the door, like a person crouching at the door. See, see the imagery here. It's crouching at the door. And I'm telling you, if you don't deal with this problem in your heart, that door will open and this thing will push its way in. He'll put his foot in the door and before you can close the door on him, he'll be in there. So he says, I am warning you, you need to change your attitude, Cain. Change it or sin will get you. Then we can compare that with Revelation 3.20. This is Jesus speaking, remember? He said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Well, it's not Jesus coming in, it's the Holy Spirit that comes in. So you've got this evil one that is seeking to push his way in where he's not wanted, get his foot in the door and push his way in. And we've got the Holy Spirit now, he knocks at the door. He's got manners, he's polite, he says, can I come in? and dwell on the inside of you. Please, can I come and sup with you? So he's, he's the perfect gentleman who must be invited. The other one is a demonic evil personage who wants to push and break his way in. So Jesus always waits for an invitation. Sometimes we want Jesus to do things in our lives, but he won't unless we ask him to do it. Why? because he's the perfect, perfect gentleman. In Proverbs 4 and 23, we read this. It says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You have to protect the inside of you, the heart of you, from the attack of the enemy. Okay, I've said that demons enter into us primarily through sin. Sin, sin then opens the door for evil spirits to come. I'll remind you of an illustration that we have in Acts chapter 5. It's the illustration of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember they were members of the early church. I'm sure they were spirit-filled believers as most of the church would have been. And we know that Barnabas had a plot of land. He sold his land and he was really uh, exalted by, by the people that he had done a wonderful, a generous thing. Ananias and Sapphira, they want this acclaim as well. They want people to think good of them, but they don't want to give all their money as Barnabas has to the church. They want to sell their land and keep some of it back for themselves, but present it to the church as though they had given everything. It goes on to say, when Peter confronts Ananias first and then the wife Sapphira, he said, why have you decided to do this. He said, Satan has entered your heart. Well, it wasn't Satan because we've looked at this before. It isn't Satan that we have problems with. It's his demons that we have problems with. And so some spirit had come into Ananias and Sapphira. It caused them to lie. 
to be covetous, to be deceitful. And in the end, this spirit that came into them, it controlled their actions in front of everyone. So to me, that's a clear example. If we, if we toy with sin, if we play or talk to this thing that's just outside the door, if you're not careful, he will come in and he will occupy. It says in Galatians 5, 19 and 21, it says the acts of the sinful nature and they are listed for us. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. It's interesting when you get these lists of sins in the New Testament, it seems that the sexual sins are quite often at the top of the list. I sort of tend to believe that the, the most serious things you put at the top. Now you might go down the list and say, these are, there's other things that seem more, uh, you know, more evil or nasty than, than these things at the top, but it's what's more pre most, most prevalent. So the most prevalent sin that captures people is sexual immorality impurity, debauchery. It goes on to talk about idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I, can you believe he's talking to Christians? The Bible's written to Christians, you know. It's our book. He's not written it to non-Christians. We can use the Bible to get people converted, but the book's written to us. He's talking to Christians here. And what he's saying, these sins, you came into the church practicing these sins, and if you don't deal with them, these things will cause the door of your heart to open and you will invite these things into you. So they're all called sins of the flesh, but if you indulge in a particular sin of the flesh, it becomes what we call a besetting sin. You are in great danger of a spirit coming and dominating in that area of your life. If a person persistently yields to the sins of the flesh, it opens the door for demons to come in. We're to crucify the flesh. We're to say no to sin and refuse to gratifying these evil desires. Part of the ministry of deliverance is to teach people how to be free, how to crucify the flesh. Maybe they've come and you've delivered somebody of something and you say, listen, you're going to have to change the way you live your life. Some of your attitudes, you're going to have to, you know, be different in that. Uh, you can't live carelessly anymore because if, if you do, these things will come back and they will gain re-entry into your life. It's about being disciplined. It says in Romans 6, uh, from verses 16 to 19, it says, do you not know? Well, the very ways to start a sentence says, do you not know? He's probably saying, well, you don't know. That's why I'm starting the sentence saying, do you not know? Do you not know that when you offer yourself to somebody to obey him as slave, you are slaves to the one that you obey? So he's talking about these sins that can dominate our lives. He says, listen, if you give way to that sin, that, that sin, remember sin is a person, a spirit, that sin will come and dominate your life. He will, uh, he will command you to do things. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, 
or to obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly, uh, uh, sorry, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of, of teaching to which you are entrusted. So once you submitted yourself to sin, the person of sin, he dominated your life. You had to obey what he says. But now you have submitted yourself to Christ. It is Christ who is your master. Uh, you're a slave to something, or should I say somebody. If, you, if you're not a slave to sin, you must be a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a slave to the Lord, you'll soon be a slave to sin. You're a slave to somebody. So that passage goes on to explain that there. Okay, we see that uh, there are different other things that we're tempted. Uh, it says about Judas, Judas was counted with the 12. That means he probably raised people from the dead. He did miracles, he healed, he delivered. But what is it that Satan got his claws into Judas with? Was it covetousness? Was it money? Was it position? What was something? Somehow he got hold of Judas and twisted his whole way of thinking. To think that he walked with the twelve, he was so close to Jesus, and somehow he was, Satan was able to turn him and, and, and enter into him. It, it talks about the same thing, almost like Ananias and Sapphira. Satan entered into his heart, or a demon did. So we have to be careful with sin in our lives. Sometimes we're trapped into sin, we're enticed into sin, we're tempted into sin, but we don't have to sin. We have to back out from that as quickly as we can. If we indulge the sin, we become dominated and a slave to that sin. The second uh, big area where evil spirits come in is that of circumstances of life. Adverse circumstances um, they can reduce our natural resistance. When we're healthy and we're bright and we know what's going on, we can have this resistance. But if we're weakened physically, emotionally or mentally, especially in times of crisis or danger, uh, evil spirits can come in. So if you find yourself uh, weakened by losing your temper or weakened physically or weakened emotionally in some way it is as though something is knocking at the door and it'll keep knocking until it finds a place of entry we have to be very careful i'm glad i started that passage saying about children needing deliverance Ch children are often demonized when they're quite young they're demonized in the home it's the mother's and father's responsibility to watch over their children and to protect them spiritually. Unfortunately, a lot of homes, they haven't got Christian parents, so they don't understand about these things. Things like upsets in the home, anger in the home, violence between parents, the separation of parents, broken homes, being attacked or abused as a child, simply feeling that you're not loved or accepted or wanted all of these things are exposing the children to spiritual attack in their lives now you go this is diabolical that the, the the god would allow this to happen to children no he doesn't allow it 
parents allow it. It's the parents who have the moral responsibility for the protection and the care of their children. Unless they afford them the protection, the enemy will come in. And of course, it's easier for the enemy to get into a child where he's you know, easily influenced and has no particular uh, resistance against it. Traumas in our lives can open the door to spirits coming in. As I said, times of physical weakness, uh, danger, sickness, if we're deprived of food or sleep, uh, all of these things where we become weak in ourselves, we're open to the demonic. Postnatal depression, what's that all about? Is it not that evil spirits come in after we've had babies, but, but maybe when we're physically weak or emotionally weak, that's when spirits that perhaps were already there take ascendancy in the woman's life because it's difficult for her to deal with that. And so drives her into a place of depression. Accidents can let spirits of death or fear of accidents in. I've met several people who've had uh, car, car crashes or near-death experiences and they're terrified or drowning experiences where they won't even go near water. Uh, I've met several people who refuse to be baptized and when you question them and inquire, it's usually because of the fear of water. Often something happened to them in their childhood, some fear happened and took place and a spirit came in at that time. Okay, maybe it's through uh, things that we've exposed ourselves to, I don't know, uh, nightmares or uh, we watch films that we shouldn't watch. Uh, people are funny, aren't they? They put themselves in front of a telly, they're terrified, they won't even look at the telly and you say, they stay there. They, uh, they say, what's going on? You know, they just, they hide and you're thinking, why are you exposing yourself to fear? What's wrong with you? And then, because they go to bed and all sorts of things terrible things happen. Um, I remember, I'm not too proud of this, but this is a long, long time ago now. Uh, not that makes it any better because it was a long, long time ago. It was still not the right thing to do. But I went to see the film The Exorcist uh, when it first came out. Uh, I think it was in the 70s, so I would have been in my 20s. And I went to the cinema. I didn't know quite what I was going to see. I was just going with someone. And then I noticed St John's ambulance people were standing in the foyer. And I thought, this isn't normal for cinema, uh, maybe a football match, but, but not a cinema. But what I realised by the end of the film, people were collapsing in the cinema, literally were collapsing and were in need of St John's Ambulance. So, I mean, if you saw the film, it, I think now it would be considered quite tame. Because in the 70s, it was a terrible demonic thing that brought a lot of fear into people's lives. And... Uh, I think I was studying at the time and I, I was married. I went on a field course and I left Daphne alone for two weeks after we'd just seen this film. <laughs> so she was freaking out a bit by the time I got back. So um, eventually we got round to doing a bit of deliverance about the exorcist. Okay, so I believe children should be particularly protected from traumas in their lives. They're, they're extremely vulnerable. And if something happens, I would pray for the child immediately. Uh, if the child has a, a terrible fright or something, just pray for it. I remember um, we were in a car park, a multi-storey car park, 
and uh, the kids got out the car. One was a baby, I'm not quite sure what, which now, but the kids, you know, they run around and, and they pushed against the car and it set off an alarm. And of course, we were in a car park and this sound of this alarm was so loud in this enclosed space. Of course, the boys thought it was, this was great fun, you know, having done this. But I had one of the, the children who was just a baby in my arms. And as I held this child and caused this noise, I felt this, the child in my arms just go totally rigid, 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 like a, you know, every spasm in him went. And I said, Daph, something happened to this child. And so in the car park, once it all went good, we just rebuked any possible spirit that came in at that time into the child. There you go. It's no big deal. I mean, just do it. Because what would have that child have grown up with some sort of, you know, debilitating thing in his life because of something simple that we could have done at the moment. So circumstances of life, accidents, things like that can open us up to the demonic. You might even be thinking in your own life, certain things that happened to you, accidents that happened, traumas that you went through, disturbing things at the time, and they're really strongly impressed in your mind. They might even come back now and give you nightmares. The third thing is wrong thinking. Philippians 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We have to protect our mind. The enemy comes to attack the mind. And so we have to think of the positives. If you allow yourselves to dwell always in the negative, always with rebellious thoughts, thoughts of resentment or thoughts of fantasy or daydreaming or unclean thoughts, if you allow them all the time to be there, you will in fact become demonized by these thoughts. They will find a dwelling place inside your psyche. And so we have to think on the positive things. You can't, God's designed us so we can't think about two things at the same time. Have you noticed that? Oh, you think you're so clever, you ladies, because you can multitask. But listen, it's very tricky to think about doing two things at the same time. I don't think we can do it. God's designed us. So if you have a bad thought coming, you just stop it and put a good one there. Sometimes, you know, someone can wind you up. And so you imagine all the things you're going to do to that person and give them the chance. Stop yourself doing that. Just start blessing that person. Just start praying for that person. We have to fill our head with the good stuff. Thinking is important. It says in Ephesians 4.26, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down uh, Sorry, while you are still angry. And in that same verse, it goes on to say, and do not give the devil a foothold. When you go to bed at night, make sure you think of good things, positive things. Don't harbor bitterness and resentment in your heart because it will grow and it will fester. And as the Bible says there, it'll give the devil a foothold. Wrong thinking will lead to wrong speaking. It'll cause you to be negative in your conversation, full of fear in your conversation. Sometimes I just listen to people and I can hear fear just pouring out of their mouths. Or they're just negative all the time about things. 
Well, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's an overflow of the heart. It's a real giveaway. So we need to think right and we need to speak right or we're opening the door. False religions is another way in which evil spirits can come to us. Idol worship is demon worship. If you bow the knee to a statue or to some sort of deity, you can open yourself up to the demonic. Unfortunately, the Catholic Church, it does a lot of bowing its knee to Mary and to particular saints. It's not a healthy thing to do. I'm not anti-Catholics, please hear me. I'm not against them. Uh, lots of good, good Catholics love the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you bow the knee to an idol, you bow the knee to the spirit that is behind the idol. And all the other things pertaining to religious things, whether it be holy water or uh, rosary or, or different things like that, we don't need that. We don't need to embrace that as Christians. Christ lives in the heart and we exercise faith in him. And all the other false religions where people come to Christ, it would be lovely to think all the things that they've done in the past, all the idolatry, all the teaching that they've learned, it just all somehow evaporated away and Christ just filled the thing. It's not like that. Sometimes they have to struggle and break free of different things. The fifth thing I've got here is the occult. False religion and the occult is often uh, entwined together. It overlaps. The basic meaning of the word occult is something that is hidden or obscured, something that cannot easily be seen. It covers all uh, fortune-telling and magic practices and spiritism. It's all attempts to gain knowledge and power from a spiritual source. Now, God has made us spiritual beings, like I've said. We, we're like houses that should house spirit. But we have to pursue the things of the spirit in the way that God has established them and set them down. If we move in a slightly different direction of Scripture, the enemy is very crafty. He can pull us in a direction so we find ourselves getting involved in the occult. The Word of God is very clear about occult practices. I'll read to you what it says in Deuteronomy 18, 9-14. And in your Bible, you need to have these passages highlighted as you're going to minister to people. We need to have these scriptures so we can go to them very quickly. Deuteronomy 18, 9-14. It says, When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. He uses the word detestable. There isn't a stronger word that could be used in the Hebrew than this was detestable to God. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination, which is simply fortune-telling, or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritualist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detest, we get the idea, because of these detestable practices, he can't make a stronger point. Because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Sometimes when you read about the children of Israel going into the promised land, you think God is very harsh. 
He just deals with these people and drives them out. He knew that if he didn't deal with them, they either needed to submit to him or he had to get rid of them because these detestable practices would find their way back into God's people. I've been to some church meetings, you wouldn't believe it. I remember once when Daphne, uh, she was pregnant with one child and um, uh, is before the days when you knew what it was you were going to have uh, you, you can t you know they tell you now quite easily but th this was the pastor's wife she came up to Daphne and she had a needle hanging on a piece of cotton and she said I'm just going to put this over your hand and if it goes in one direction it's a boy if it swings in another direction it's a girl this was the pastor's wife it was occult I mean it was just it was wicked stuff and you say oh it's nothing Phil it's just a, what do you think the devil's going to appear like with pitchfork and horns no he comes with small things to break into our lives and there's been other stuff I, I remember once uh, they, they, they dealt with the communion bread and uh, we had taken all the bread we wanted and I was going to tip the bread into the bin because we didn't need this communion bread anymore. The woman said, you can't do that. It'll bring a curse on you. It'll be bad luck. And I thought, what are you talking about? We're, we're free of all this stuff. You s oh, I didn't call her names. Too polite to do that. But you know, the idea that, that it's never far away. The enemy will come and he will break in and he wants to break into the church. He wants to get into the church. He wants to bring in uh, detestable things, if it's at all possible. It goes on to say, uh, where else we go down here? Okay, Leviticus, this is 19, Leviticus 19, 26 to 31. He said, do not eat meat with blood in it. Do not practice divination or sorcery. Do not cut the hair of the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead and do not put tattoo marks on yourself. Do not make your daughters a prostitute. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists for you will be defiled by them. You go, oh, that's all the Old Testament. That's all Old Testament covenants. Listen, a covenant that God made is an everlasting covenant. Now, I know that the laws of the Old Testament fall into three specific groups. The, the laws that we have to take uh, account of today is all the moral laws of God, the ceremonial laws and the civic laws. Christ fulfilled them in coming. But the moral laws that he's established in there, they still apply today in our lives. And if we don't follow them, we expose ourselves to some bad stuff. And Leviticus 20 and verse 6, it says, I will set my face against the people who turns to mediums and spiritualists to prostitute himself by following them, and I will cut him off from my people. So, yeah, very stern about that. So we have to be careful about occult things that creep in to our lives. The sort of practices that you might have come across today are things like Ouija boards, very common, nice party trick, horoscopes, reading your horoscopes, uh, meditation, that game Dungeons and Dragons where you imagine yourself in to be another person in the game, uh, automatic writing, water divining, ESP, telepathy, charming away illnesses. When the phone rings, do you always know who's ringing you? 
I mean always. And now and again, you might have a guess. But listen, if I knew every time who was ringing me on the phone before I picked it up, I would go get some deliverance without a shadow of a doubt. I wouldn't think it's some special gift that God had given me. We need to be wise about this stuff. Uh, so uh, charming away illnesses, faith healing, yoga, hypnosis, tarot cards, aquapuncture, all superstitions. We need to clear ourselves of all of these things. They're hidden, they're a cult, and we should have nothing to do with them. People talk about white witches and black witches. Listen, they're all black. There is no thing as a white witch. Witches are witches, and we're to have nothing to do with them. There is a tendency in the fallen nature of man uh, to seek out the supernatural. He loves it. He, he's inquisitive about it. It exerts a fascination on him. But if you get involved in it, it will often lead to depression and confusion in the mind. The sixth area I've got here is drugs and alcohol. By taking away a person's self-control. So the taking of drugs is not a sin in itself. You might all take some sort of medication. It's a drug. I understand that. You might all like to drink now and again. I understand that. But if you take drugs or you drink to the extent that you've somehow lost control of yourself, you're exposing yourself to the enemy just breaking into your life. You've, you've torn down the natural defenses that you would have. A uh, couple of uh, verses here. Um, it says, uh, Ecclesiastes 10 and 8, Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a way may be bitten by a snake. Okay, so we have to be careful that we, the protection that we would naturally afford ourselves by being in our right mind and in control, we keep that in place all the time and we don't let it be broken down. So uh, let's move on to, um, yeah, I think inheritance is the last one. Uh, I, got, I got seven. I could have more. Seven's a good number, isn't it? A good perfect number. I'm not saying there aren't others, but we'll, we'll finish on this one here tonight. Inheritance. Spirits can be passed down from one generation to another generation. It's a curse that comes through. Now, it says in Exodus 20, and four and five, let me find this one. Uh, it says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and you do not carefully follow all his commands and degrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and they will overtake you. In Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-nine, in those days, people will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge the sins of our fathers visit down to three and four generations it says and he says here about the children's teeth being put on edge when the fathers eat it is the children suffer because what the father has done but he said a day is coming when the children won't suffer for what the father's done because jesus would come and become a curse for us so he would break the power of the curses galatians 3 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us 
for it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree when Christ was crucified he became a curse for us so the curses that would naturally come down the family to us we have been set free of those curses by Christ going to the cross now obviously we have to accept Christ as our saviour but even then to be free of the curse we have to appropriate the deliverance to our lives you have to appropriate healing you have to appropriate deliverance to your life it doesn't come automatically in your life you have to claim it from the Lord he redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit does it matter how evil spirits get into us what what's why is it important to know how they got in well if we know how they got in we know how to protect ourselves to to keep them out so we won't be infiltrated by them anymore often when you're praying for somebody maybe the person doesn't know about these things in their lives traumas in their childhood or things that their parents done well as we minister and we open ourselves open to the Holy Spirit he can show us what the root cause of the spirits that have come in are as you talk about these things often the Holy Spirit will then remind the person of something that has happened in their life and so it's easier to move then in deliverance for the person okay we move on to this uh, second lesson this evening is how to expel evil spirits from us how to get them out there's only one way to deal with demons and that's the Bible way that's why we're looking at the Bible all the time that's why I read the accounts of, of the Bible for you so it's not oh this is just my funny idea or this is what I've been doing I've only been doing what the Bible has done and following in the footsteps of Jesus himself the only victory that we can possibly have against the demonic is Jesus Christ himself when he went to the cross he disarmed principalities and powers and it made it possible for us now to have victory in our lives over all this demonic stuff let's look now at the person who is needing deliverance I want you to imagine that someone has come to you and they're inquiring of you how to get free of certain things the person coming for the deliverance must first have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that Christ is the one who has set the person free it's not you it's not me remember the man who brought his boy to Jesus uh, well, Jesus wasn't there and he says I took I took my boy to your disciples but they couldn't help him listen they could never help him it's only God who can set us free so if, if God uses you and there's no reason why he shouldn't use you it is God that's setting them free you simply are the agent who stands between him to help them I mean if people went directly to the Lord the Lord would deliver them but people need some assistance sometimes and so we're there to simply help them but it's the Lord Jesus who does it they need to have faith in him faith faith in the Lord Jesus can only come through the scriptures it comes no other way as we read the scriptures as we're uh, drenched in the scriptures soaked in the scriptures so our faith grows 
If you feel you don't have much faith, well, we know where the answer is. It's in the Word of God. As you read the Word of God, absorb the Word of God, faith grows automatically. We're to encourage all to believe what Jesus Christ can do. Some people have got a problem and it's so deep-rooted and they've had it for so long, they'll come to you thinking they'll never get free. It's impossible. They've lived with this thing for so long. Don't, don't tell them that it's difficult and impossible. Encourage them with Jesus, all things are possible. Jesus dealt with demons all the time. So don't, don't try and add to their, their fears that this is difficult and they're never going to get free. The, the demons will have already told them that. So we're, we're building their confidence in Jesus, setting them free. I can't find one account in the scriptures where he failed, either to heal the sick or cast out demons. They don't exist. They're not there. He never did that. Secondly, they must have confidence in you. So it's important what you say and how you present yourself to people. Uh, if you present yourself as a quivering, shivering wreck, sorry using that expression, um, they're not going to have a lot of confidence that you're going to be helping them at all. So you, you, have to, you have to conduct yourself in a way that people will have confidence in what it is that you're saying. Evil spirits know if you have faith. They somehow know in the spiritual realm whether we have faith. We looked at the seven sons of Sceva a, a week or two ago where these Jewish uh, brothers, they were trying to exercise a spirit out of a man and because they didn't really have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were really unsuccessful in the whole business. So we need to conduct ourselves in such a way uh, that people accept our ministry and they start to put confidence in us. So it's important how we present ourselves and we present the truth to them. Their cooperation is vital. Sometimes people have come to me and I'm thinking, I'm not going to help this person at all. I can't because they don't accept me. They don't accept that I could minister to them. And so normally I won't even bother praying. Uh, sometimes I feel a bit pressurized and so I do but all the time I think we're not going to get anywhere here because their attitude is wrong. The person coming for deliverance must be honest. Uh, they, must, um, they must be honest to God, honest with themselves and be honest with the person that they're ministering to. See demons thrive in the darkness. What you keep in the dark or what they keep hidden and secret they'll never get delivered from. They have to come open and honest. It's either pride or fear that'll cause them not to open up and tell the truth. So sometimes we have to build confidence with people. So you might have to meet them two or three times and slowly but surely as they build confidence in you, they start to say more, they start to open up their lives. Remember Jesus often said to people, what do you want me to do for you? I used to think that's a very strange question when it was really obvious if someone was standing in front of him blind. But he would say, come on now, open up. What do you want me to do? Let's speak about this whole situation. Many fear disgrace or people not thinking good of them if they actually expose their lives. Um, often this is in a sexual area or something they are now 
as Christians, they are ashamed of uh, because they need to be able to be able to express these things, not in great detail. That's not necessary. We're not inquiring into all the details of their life. The, but they be able to, to expose things and bring them out, to bring it into the light uh, so in honesty they can uh, be dealt with. Uh, it says in uh, Psalm 32 and 5, it says this, Then I acknowledged my sin, this is David speaking, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not cover up my iniquities. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. By, by bringing our sin out into the open, that is a sure way in that God will deal with it. What we keep hidden and secret, it won't. And again, he says this, David, in Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And in Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them, he finds mercy so in the you know in the quietness of two people ministering to someone just to be open just to bring it all out is one of the requirements of getting deliverance the next thing is humility we have to recognize our dependence upon the lord this is both the person receiving ministry and the one doing the ministry James 4, 6 and 7 says this. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As soon as you think you're somebody, or you think you're important, or you think you're so good at the ministry you do, be careful, because God in his mercy will draw the rug out from under your feet, because he doesn't want you to operate in a way where you receive the glory when all the time you need to walk in humility. Repentance is another thing. Uh, it's nearly always sin that opened the door to demons. So repentance is a question of being determined to walk in the other direction. Something that you've been doing that you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Repentance has nothing to do with saying sorry. Repentance doesn't even have anything to do with forgiveness. Repentance is about having a change of mind. A change of mind. Without a change of mind, God can't help you. So if you've been doing something that you shouldn't be doing, you need to repent. That means you need to stop doing it. There's this illustration, I think I might have used it before, but bear with me, it's worth repeating. It's about the man who takes his wages at the end of the week. He goes to the pub and he drinks it all. So once he's drunk it all, he goes home and his wife is standing there and because she's not too happy with this and they get into a bit of a row and he beats the poor woman up. He goes to bed and he sleeps it off. He wakes up in the morning and sees what a terrible thing that he's done. Oh, he says, oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'll never do it again. Only next Friday to do the same thing. 
and the next Friday to do the same thing, getting up every morning saying, he's really sorry, please forgive me, I'll never do it again. In the end, she says, no, no, it's not a question of me forgiving you or a question of you being sorry. It's a question of you stopping drinking and beating me up. You've got to stop. And with sin, you've just got to stop. Don't say sorry to God, please forgive me, then get up and do the same thing again next week. That doesn't work. You have to make a determined effort not to. If it's things related to obvious things like hatred or violence or sexual sins or occult practices, when you say, I'm not going to do it, you stop. You just don't do that again. You walk in another direction. Some sins, they're a bit more complex and it takes a little bit more working out with God's grace. But repentance is definitely moving in another direction. It's an act of the will. It's not an emotion. It is an act of the will to be different. And that's what God's interested in. A change of mind. A walk in the new direction. The next one is renunciation. Renunciation is to do with what is said and done in the light of repentance. I remember someone coming to me and uh, talking about wanting to stop smoking. And would I pray for them because they were sure it was a spirit? I said, yeah, I'm quite happy to do it if it's your spirit. Just give me all the cigarettes you have in your bag and any lighters and a match. Of course, they weren't prepared to do that. I said, well, it doesn't work then. You see, they needed to renounce it. They either needed to, to do something to turn away from it and show they meant business, or to actually sometimes renounce in his speaking out. Sometimes I've prayed for people and it's almost impossible to budge something in their lives. So I've stopped and say, you need to renounce this. You need to say, I used to do this, but I'm finished with this. I never want to do it again. And by the renouncing, they get deliverance. People have found it almost impossible to renounce. It's as though what's in them is so strong, it doesn't let them speak those words and turn away from it. So you have to work with them until they can get to this place of turning away from it. Forgiveness. Jesus said, if you do not forgive, I will not forgive you. If you do not show mercy, I cannot show you mercy. So if I was meeting the person, uh, I didn't know much about them, I would ask them questions about, do they harbour bitterness or resentment in their hearts from people? Possibly lead them through a prayer. Uh, I might speak the words and say, listen, I get to a part where you need to ask the Holy Spirit to show me or to show you all the people you haven't forgiven in your life and you need to voice those people out. You need to speak those people uh, speak their names and say, I forgive them. Whatever it is, I forgive them. See, forgiveness is a bit like repentance. It's an act of your will. It is a decision to do it. Now, your emotions say, but I don't feel too good towards them. I understand that. Well, the feelings will follow. If you keep confessing your forgiveness and walking in forgiveness, your feelings will soon catch up. And prayer. You might want to start the session before you start to pray, encouraging the person to pray. 
you you don't have to do these things all the time well i would probably always do forgiveness uh but i don't always ask the people to pray unless i feel the holy spirit might impress it upon me to encourage them to pray those those ministering now deliverance we need to recognize that in christ we have authority we don't have power we have authority I often give the illustration of a policeman who stands in the traffic and puts his hands up to stop a great big juggernaut lorry coming towards him. The policeman hasn't got any power, I'll tell you that. The juggernaut lorry's got all the power and if he doesn't care, the juggernaut lorry driver, he'll just roll the poor policeman dead. But the policeman's got authority. That means his uniform, what he wears, has the authority of the British government, the Queen, every other policeman every other judge in the land is is giving him the authority to stop that lorry so the lorry driver knows i've got to stop or i'm in trouble we we have not got power against the devil the devil could roll over you all the time but what you have is authority so when you put your hand up the devil has to stop you need to know the authority that you have in christ Okay. it says in mark 16 and 17 and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name in my name with my authority they will drive out evil spirits when we do deliverance we pray to god we might close our eyes or not close our eyes. It doesn't really matter. God doesn't worry about that. Uh, we pray to God and we ask God for the outpouring of the anointing of his spirit. But when we do the deliverance, our eyes are wide open. Would you go into a fight with your eyes closed? No, I don't think so. Wide open, see the enemy, see what he's doing and come against him with authority and with the word of God. We speak directly to the demons. We're not speaking to the person. We speak to the demons. It says in Ephesians 6 and 17, you take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You are going to kill demons. That is what you're going to do. You take up the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and you charge at the enemy with the word of God. James 7 and 4, it says this, submit yourself then to God and resist the devil. You are resisting him. And in Revelations 12, 11, it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We defeat him with the words that come out of our mouth. Demons I've experienced generally leave by the mouth. We've looked at this a little bit before. We said the the Greek word for it is pneuma, and the Hebrew word for spirit is the word roach. And so often a spirit dwells here in the belly of a person or somewhere within the being. Remember, it's like a occupying the house. And as you come against this spirit, the person will start to feel uncomfortable and there will be some movement. And often it comes out of the mouth. It leaves with a shriek or a sigh, or a gasp, or a cough, or a yawn, or a belch, or a whine, or a whimper, or a reaching, or it leaves. It leaves the physical body of the person. And I tell you, it's great. 
when you think you're in a battle and you're setting someone free of something and you drive this thing out of them and you know they will become completely different as a result of this. It's absolutely fantastic. Sometimes the manifestations aren't forthcoming. Sometimes they feel it and it's there all the time, but they can't seem to get free. I would say to the person, you just need to breathe away in confidence and faith and just get them to breathe out. It's interesting, Jesus said, when we receive the Spirit, he says, if you'll come to me and you're thirsty, he says, drink. In a funny sort of way, it's like we drink in the Holy Spirit and we out the bad ones. I remember talking to somebody uh, and he was talking, testifying to uh, another man who he was working with. This was at Heathrow Airport. He was an Asian man and he was talking to him about the things of God to testify to him. And as he was speaking, this Indian man, as he walked by the side of him, who wasn't a Christian, he kept doing this. And he says, why are you doing that? He says, I have to be careful because the spirit that you're speaking about might come into me. So what I'm doing, I'm making sure that your spirit doesn't come into me. Isn't that interesting? What an interesting illustration. See, we can, it's an expelling of something that actually dwells in the belly of a person. So don't be uh, afraid to uh, encourage people if they're having some difficulty, just to breathe away, just to breathe away, confidently breathe it out in faith. When you're doing deliverance, always keep your eyes open, always looking for the reactions in the person's face or in the person's body, where they put on a very arrogant stance as you're praying for them, or whether they're wanting to hit you, um, I remember several cases where uh, somebody had his eyes, his eyes were closed and I was coming against this aggressive spirit that he had and he took back his fist and I thought, I I'm going to catch it here and I didn't move, I just sat there and I rebuked this thing and he threw his fist at me and it came within about half an inch of my face but it stopped, it just stopped there. And I thought, that's amazing, because this person's got his eyes closed. He couldn't know where my face was. He was definitely aiming for it. Well, he wasn't, the demons were. Uh, but he, he couldn't touch me. And this happened on several occasions where people try to lurch at me and do it. Now, I don't want to give too many of these stories, because you'll say, Philip, I'm never going to do this in a month of Sundays. We're out of here now. We have had enough. Not coming back next week. No, no. They're, they're the exceptions. Generally, people sit and they simply feel uncomfortable and they simply breathe the thing away and they're free, they're free. And so we need to, if God, you feel God's calling you and energizing you into this, well, you need to get going. When we first start with this whole thing, it is weird. It is weird just talking to something that you can't see. You're not even sure that it's there, but you just start going. And like all things, once we get used to something, we can do anything, can't we? If you pray for people while others are skeptical, uh, sometimes nothing happens. I've sometimes known people who are in real opposition to the, the whole ministry of deliverance and I'm, I'm casting a spirit out of someone and they're really, it's like so obvious and they're Christians and, and, then, and then I think, I wish so-and-so was here so they could see this. But God doesn't allow that to happen. He, he doesn't give them the privilege. 
of seeing something they're not going to believe in. See, if you don't believe, he won't show you. You have to come wanting to see, wanting to believe. Isn't it funny that passage in Mark, remember when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, it says this, he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The girl's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Taliath kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. See those that were mocking and laughing, he said, you get out the room. You're not going to see anything because of your attitude. He took his disciples and the mother and father and this girl was miraculously raised from the dead in front of their eyes. We need to be open, open to what God wants to do with us, how he wants to minister through us and say, yes, Lord, I'm up for this. I'm up for this. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please come back next week for our last lesson in the Deliverance module. Also, if you would like to partner with Arise Ministry by giving an online donation, please head on over to our website at ariseministry.org.uk. Please remember to follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry a living legacy.